hear the word of God to you this morning. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Sends the reading of God's holy and authoritative word may bless our hearts and lives this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that Christmas should remind us of every year is that God uses the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. And that's, if that's a packed sentence, if I ever heard one. And so I want to just point out three meditations, really, from the Christmas story. Um, it's going to be dealing with the passage that I didn't read from before those verses, as well as after. And you'll see how it fits in, but I wanted to read some of it. We're going to see three things. God chose to bring the Redeemer into the world through an ordinary couple, Joseph and Mary, carpenter and uh, who was a peasant, we, we know, because he had to give the offering that only poor people had to give, which was the dove instead of a sheep. So God chose to bring the Redeemer into the world through an ordinary couple. Secondly, God choose, chose to spread the good news of the Redeemer's arrival through ordinary shepherds. He picked some shepherds that were hanging out taking care of their sheep on a hillside. Out of everybody in the world, think about that, the angels came to them to spread the news. And third of all, God chose to clothe the extraordinary Redeemer in ordinary flesh and blood. Jesus came in this flesh, same blood that flows through our veins, just sinless. So let's take a look at all three of those in order. And look at the first one. God chose to bring the Redeemer into the world through an ordinary couple. Now, sometimes people ask about what you do for a living, but sometimes they do it out of genuine concern. They, they really want to uh, know a little bit about you. They're showing an interest in you, and so they'll say, hey, what do you do? And it's a genuine thing. I've had that happen in my life. I've done it myself to try to get someone to talk so I can get to know them a little bit. It really is a genuine act of care and friendship. But other times, when people ask that question, they're sizing you up. They're figuring out what station in life 
you occupy to see whether or not it's to their advantage to add you to their, and that lovely word we use today, network. Let's see if this person's worthy of my network. You know, should I friend them on Facebook? Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been invited to a formal event that you didn't want to attend in the first place. Boy, this sounds autobiographical already, doesn't it? <laughs> Only to find yourself in this, this discussion of hot topics with some highly influential people maybe in your city and in your society. And of course, it's a, it's a socially charged environment. And somebody looks at you and says, hey, Santos read a little bit up on that. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And of course, you're on the spot and you're thinking to yourself, this is the very last thing I want to be doing at this very moment. First time I'm meeting somebody, we're talking about this heavy, serious issue. And so before the Lord, though, you know it's an opportunity. So you start sharing what you believe about it. And then, of course, someone out of the blue in the circle, you can see they're very uncomfortable as you're speaking. They kind of go, I'm sorry, what do you do for a living? What's behind that? In other words, how are you an expert in this subject? A lot of times when they ask that, they know full well that you're either a farmer or a mechanic. Maybe you're a bricklayer, closer to home for me, my dad, growing up. And so what, what is their intent? Their intent is to make it clear to everyone in the room and everyone in the conversation that you're not really anybody special. That there's no reason that your opinion should be listened to any more than anyone else's. And that your opinion doesn't really count much. But now, of course, if you said something like, oh, and by the way, not only am I a mechanic, but my dad is the senator holding this party. <laughs> Things would change, wouldn't they? Oh, oh, well, that's really nice to meet you. I suppose if Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, was schmoozing with the movers and the shakers of his day in Roman society, and he was asked, what do you do for a living? And if he said, I'm a carpenter, I think it would fail to impress the crowd. I don't think you'd have people rushing over to, to Joseph's house to sign him up to be part of their network of the high and mighty it wouldn't impress them yet this is what's interesting when the time was ripe for God to send, send his promised Messiah, his promised son into the world as he had promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, he looked to this lowly peasant couple think about this and he said perfect just the couple I want to entrust with my greatest gift to the world Think about that. Those are, that's the couple for me. But I want you to see this is a pattern with God. This is not an isolated incident. It's not a warm and fuzzy story. First Corinthians, we read it earlier, and I read that for a reason. In many ways, this should be, in a sense, this is the main text of the sermon this morning with the Christmas story, really a big, long illustration of it. So 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following, I want to repeat it again. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And look at the reason why. So that no one may boast before him. See, God delights in using the ordinary to bring about the extraordinary so that he gets all the glory. That's the purpose. He used Gideon in the Old Testament. You may remember he was the weakest clan. He was the weakest in Manasseh. He was the least in his family. And that's who God chose to deliver his people from the Midianites. He waited until, listen, this is really cool. He waited, I always love this story. He waited until Moses was a senior citizen. You got to think about this. When M Moses, when he was 40, he was ready to go. He wanted, come on, God, use me. I'm going to deliver God's people. And you know what happened? He got drove into, driven to the desert for another 40 years or whatever, how many, many more years. It wasn't until he was around 80 years old, right? You know, 80, you're ready to do something. I don't know, they didn't have golf back then. They probably didn't have bocce ball, but they had something like that, I'm sure. <laughs> he was more ready for that when God said, okay, it's time to start. He took a lowly shepherd boy. When there are all these mighty men of war, he took a shepherd boy and he made him the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And then he took a peasant couple from David's line to bless the world with a child who would grow up to be the savior, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. I want you to understand something too. The son of God grew up, think about this, being known as the carpenter's son. As a matter of fact, sometimes people would use that as a way to mock him. Wait a minute, isn't this Jesus? <laughs> like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Isn't he the carpenter's son? It's good for me to remember this when I went to seminary. And a lot of my fellow students were from families of generations of influential pastors and Christian workers in the church. And they can go back many, many years of faithful service to Christ and I was a son of a humble bricklayer from Jersey you wonder how someone how God can use someone as humble and as uh, as weak as you and then you remember God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary because think about it People don't look at you as being great or powerful. When something good happens, they realize, man, God had to do something. <laughs> if something good happened through Santo, that had to be God. <laughs> because we know Santo. And he's nothing special. And you know what's interesting? Here's something I want you to see. I, I didn't even pick this up when I wrote, when as I was working on the sermon. I, didn't, I think I picked it up either early this morning or on the way here. That's how uh, recent it was. Here's the interesting thing. People love to say, preachers love to say things like, God can take a shepherd boy and make him a king. But notice, that's not what's going on here. God takes Joseph, who is a carpenter, and does Joseph ever become anything else? No, he stays a carpenter, doesn't he? The issue is not God taking you and making you some great political figure or great figure. And I was thinking about this too. How many people get to be president? How many have we had in the whole history of our country? 45, right? 45, something like that. Out of hundreds of millions of people. 
So if this message was God is going to make you like one of these great people, well, then it would only apply to, what, a fraction, one in every eight million people? That's not the message. The message is God will use weak, humble, little old you, just as you are, in the lot of life that you are, and he will do amazing things through you. It's a different message, isn't it? So that he gets all the glory. I'm still Santo, son of a mason. I glory in that because God gets the glory. Not me. One commentator puts it this way. If a public relations firm planned the introduction of God's son on earth, who would they invite? Certainly not the group Luke introduces. No Roman emperor or Greek philosopher attended. Instead, Luke tells of an obscure priest and his wife, a carpenter and his young fiance, a group of shepherds, and two elderly people. Jesus never had much to do with the high and mighty except during his trial and crucifixion. He would change the world through the lives of ordinary people. And I want to say this before we go to our second point. Um, I had uh, a distant cousin one, uh, contact me because he knows I like that genealogy. So I have our family's genealogy going back hundreds of years. And anytime anybody wants any info, they know they come to me. And he had heard that our, uh, one of our great-grandparents was a nobleman. And I had to burst his bubble. Say, actually, he was really, really poor. He, and as a matter of fact, it's because that's one of the reasons they had to come to this country. Let's just say I never heard from that cousin ever again <laughs> because he was expecting this great story. Well, for me, and when I did look in his birth record, you want to hear something, it tells you what his occupation was. Listen to this, occupation, and I never saw this word in Italian before, and then I translated it, peasant. You know you're poor when you don't even get an occupation. You just get peasant. But here's the interesting thing. On my father's side, we do have nobility. Guess which side has the criminality? <laughs> Guess which side didn't do right things? I just find that interesting. Because when, the, when Jesus was in the company of the high and mighty, they were the ones that what? Crucified him and led him to the cross. So the Christmas story reminds us that God chose to bring the extraordinary Savior into the world through an ordinary couple. Secondly, it shows us that he chose to spread the good news of the Redeemer's arrival through ordinary shepherds. Look again at verse 15, when the angels in Luke 2, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Notice, it doesn't say all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds. <laughs> Did you notice that? Notice the important thing. They were amazed at the news, at the tidings. The humble vessels were in the background, forgotten, and that's a good thing. They were just heralds of the good news. 2 Corinthians 4.7, Paul says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Brothers and sisters, we should glory in being a jar of clay because we're his jar of clay and because he chooses to use us to carry the most important, the most glorious message this world has ever heard, the only hope of the human race, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection for the sins of the world. God designed it that way so that people wouldn't walk away focusing on the vessel, the jar, right? If we're real beautiful jars and we're, we're this big specimen, it would be like, oh, what a gorgeous. But no, they don't focus on the vessel. They focus on the beauty and the grandeur of the one who fills it. God has come to save his people. And if you, like the shepherds, have taken God's message of good news and glad tidings to heart, and you've trusted in his son, then you have the privilege and the honor of spreading that news far and wide. Doesn't matter your station, doesn't matter your lot in life, doesn't matter if you have money or lack thereof, it's all irrelevant. And it's not a glib, superficial message that if you, if you serve God, he will bless you in this life. No, it's a lot deeper. It's a message that goes to the core. It says if you trust in Jesus, he will take away your sin that separates you from a, a holy and righteous God. And he will give you a place by his side in glory when this life is this short, brief, passing life is through. Their message was simply this, a redeemer is born. You remember that old Christmas song? We, we will sing it next time, uh, either next week or the week after. Go tell it on the mountain, right? Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain, Jesus Christ is born. It's no longer winter and never Christmas. Since Jesus has come. And our message is even more complete because the Savior has come. He's grown up. He's lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. And he rose victorious over the last enemy that we all have to face, and that's death. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. And the awesome thing is, he's coming back. He's coming back to change this world into something brand new. Not just patch it up. And it's interesting that he chose to use us, his people, to herald this glad tidings to all men. Jars of clay that we are. Humble vessels, not much to look at, nothing special in the world's eyes. An ordinary vessel from which he pours out an extraordinary message. The Son of God has become man that men, women, and children might become sons of God. I didn't make that up. I heard that a long time ago, but it's true. What a beautiful message of reconciliation, of redemption, of salvation, and of hope in Christ. Ordinary messages, messengers, excuse me, with an extraordinary, life-changing message. All right, last thing I want to point out is that God chose to clothe the extraordinary Redeemer 
in ordinary flesh and blood. And just a moment on that. Galatians 4, so we can make it succinct here. Galatians 4, 4 to 5. Paul tells us this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Let me take you back to an old story that you may remember from the Old Testament. You remember God chose Abraham, right? Most of us remember that. You remember Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Well, years later down the road, you know, because God had promised him a promised son and God finally gave him Isaac, you remember? Isaac's a little boy. Everybody's happy. The promise is in front of his face. And then God tested Abraham. You remember that? He said, now I want you to go. And I want you to sacrifice your, your, one, your, your son, the one you love. You remember that story? Well, one day, um, Martin Luther was having devotions with him and his wife, Katie. And they read that passage. And Katie said, I don't believe that. God would never treat his son like that. And Luther looked at her and goes, oh, but he did. Oh, but he did. You see, that test, we know what happened. God, an angel came and said, now I know you fear God. Spared Isaac, obviously, and he had the ram in the thicket, right, as a substitute for the sacrifice. But when God sent his one and only son, there was no angel stopping the hand from crucifying Jesus, was there? There was no voice from heaven preventing him. But Jesus was crucified. He was killed. God became flesh and blood for you and me. And then he faced a horrible execution for your sins and for mine. He sent his son, born of a woman. An ordinary, imagine that, that scene in a manger, in a feeding trough of, of animals. There was a little baby crying. Didn't look like much, did he? God ended up using that little flesh and blood boy <laughs> to save the world and one day rule it. <laughs> and even now he rules it through love. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God has come near. He's become one of us. He didn't stay in heaven where it was safe and warm. He didn't stay where he could be protected. And worshipped among the holy uh, angels, where his will is always done. He came to a broken, a sad, a cursed place. And he came to experience suffering that you and I will never know because we know him. Separation from God. And so God took this extraordinary son of his who took on ordinary flesh and blood to save you and me. That is Christmas. And you and I as Christians, it's not just December 25th for us. It's every morning we wake up. 
the indescribable gift. The awesome, extraordinary God using the ordinary to accomplish his extraordinary will and salvation. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Father, it's so humbling to be chosen to be a vessel of clay, a jar of clay, and to carry your majestic news, your message of hope for, the whole, for all the nations. Father, forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for sometimes leaving our first love. We remember days when we rushed off like the shepherds. We couldn't wait to tell everybody. And sometimes we're silent when we should speak. Forgive us for that, Lord. And we thank you that you are forgiving, that you are merciful, that you are patient, and that you will carry on to completion that which you have begun in us through Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask as your children that you would get glory out of our lives. Not just our quote-unquote Christian service, but our daily lives as we strive to just live every aspect of our lives in your presence and for your glory. Oh Lord, may it be a Merry Christmas this season because Jesus is magnified in us and through us. Not just this Christmas season, but the year to come. It's in his name we pray and give thanks. Amen.